So baptism this morning, um, it has so much to do with this idea of identifying with Jesus Christ. And I explained all that earlier, but it is it is the standing up for him in front of people and saying, I identify with him. So I, I for sake of clarity or, or to have some points, I had a couple points this morning, but um, let me go through these and see if I can challenge us this morning. Number one, the first thought is identifying with Jesus right now. Identifying with Jesus right now. And what I mean is in everyday life. They have come up this morning <coughs> and they have identified publicly in church, in this building, in front of us, with Jesus. And I want to challenge us to identify with Jesus all the time when we walk through our life. So Romans 1 is where we're at. I want to read one verse to you from this particular passage. <clears throat> Paul is writing. He's towards the end of his life. And he says in verse number 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel, the word is the good news. Christ's death and burial for our sins in our place. He rose again. That is really the good news. It's redemptive news. He rose again and is alive today. He calls out to all in this world to trust in him. That's the story of redemption. It's the gospel. It's the good news. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Aren't you glad you're part of that group of everyone? To the Jew first and also to the Greek. No one is excluded from having the ability and the choice to trust in Jesus as your Savior. doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter to the Jew first and also to the Gentiles, the Greeks. doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter, by the way, who you are, what family you're from. doesn't matter what you've done in your past. You say, well, I've done so much bad. You know why we know that's true? Because we're fellow human beings and we've done the same stuff, okay? Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter. The gospel is for everyone who would place their trust in him. And Paul said of that, I am not ashamed. You'd say, well, I'm not ashamed. Well, wait a minute here. Yes, this morning in this room, this is easy. I mean, we're... We're singing about Jesus. <laughs> We're, I mean, goodness sake, people are being baptized in front of us. We're hearing the gospel being preached. We're hearing about Jesus. We presumably have a, a bunch of followers of Christ around us right now. And we say, I'm not ashamed. I got to tell you, pretty easy in this room. Okay. But what about the times you're not in this room? I was going, I was in college, I was about 20 years old, something like that, and I went to, is that my wife, is she in here? <laughs> so, uh, I was about 20 years old, and I, and I went to Bible college, and what I mean is, everybody there was studying for the ministry to be a pastor or a missionary or something like that, <laughs> and so we're all there, 
uh, in Bible college, and I worked my way through school like a lot of you did, and I was at my job, and people there, after I was there for a little bit, knew I went to this Bible college here in town, uh, there in the town I was in, there in Jacksonville, Florida, and they got to know me a little bit, and one day, uh, somebody said something religious, somebody pointed over at me and said, well, there's the guy you need to ask, and kind of referred to me as reverend or something like that, okay? Him, and I remember the feeling at 20 years old, being around all those people who probably a lot of them were not Christians. I remember the flush that came over me of just (gasps) a little bit of panic, a little bit of don't call on me, and that feeling that that's part of what Paul is saying here. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. There's going to be a whole world out there that doesn't know Jesus. And there's going to be few that find Jesus because Jesus said that narrow is the way to life and few there is that find it. Broad is the way to destruction and a bunch of them will find it unfortunately. So you will be in the minority as you stand up for Jesus. Don't be ashamed of him. But I will tell you that the Lord gives you strength as you get older and older and he matures you. And I can tell you that because I'm different now than I was at 20. Okay. Cause it's been 15 years now. See, I got you back, whoever did that before. <laughs> Say you, Chris, seriously. Man, I never liked you. Uh, so, <clears throat> I, but you know that, so that no. Uh, so I get older now, and I, I'm around a group of people, and I see him talking something religion or something about spirituality, and I'm like, Come on, some of you here know that I'm a pastor. Somebody say it. Somebody just say, well, he's a pastor. Come on, ask me. I'm ready. I'm ready. Different than I was years ago. He grows us. Don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ as you walk through at work and as you walk through your day. Now, listen, I will always say that. I think about every time I will say this. Stand up for Jesus. Say something about him. Say Jesus, but... But don't be a weirdo. Okay, now here, here's what I mean. Don't go, all right, I'm standing up for Jesus. Tomorrow I'm bringing a sign into work. Jesus follower. Hey, everybody. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't, please, please, please don't do that. If you say, I'm, if you have a big sign that says, I'm with Jesus, please don't put the word Jesus. Put, I'm with somebody else, something. Please, weirdo, don't do that. But here's what we need to do. After you've been around a group of people a while, whether it's at work or your family, they ought to know that you're following Christ. By the way you speak, by the way you act, it should be obvious. Don't be ashamed of what Christ has done for us in our everyday life. All right, here's number two. And and I have number two and number three, and and they're going to challenge us, I think. Number two is this, identifying with Jesus in the past. And here's what I mean. The challenge is identify with him right now. Wherever we go, identify him with him right now. But I want to encourage you, challenge you by remembering those in the past that I've identified with him and stood with him. I want you to go to the book of Hebrews. And uh, I want you to go to Hebrews 11. It's very familiar. As I say Hebrews 11, many of you who have read your Bible over the years will say, oh, that's the faith chapter, the great hall of faith. Yes, it is. This is the one. And it tells us about those who have stood up for God. 
not only in their everyday life, but even more so in, in adversity and persecution. And I just want to read this to remind us. Hebrews 11, go to verse number 32. The writer of Hebrews, I, I think most think that it's Paul, but he writes Hebrews eleven thirty-two, and what more shall I say? <clears throat> For time would fail me to tell of, and then he lists some men and women who have stood up for God. Time would fail to tell me of Gideon, the book of Judges. Barak, the book of Judges. Samson, Judge Jephthah. We know these names. Of David and Samuel and the prophets. Here's what they did. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness. Those of you who tend to be a little ashamed of Jesus and makes you weak, he makes us strong in our weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life talking about the future resurrection that we have, Christ being our first fruits of resurrection to eternity, we will also rise or be raised from the dead. Um, others, verse 36, suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world, by the way, was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They stood up for God in their lives, even facing (coughs) torture and persecution. But verse 13 and 14 give us some insight of that same chapter. Hebrews 11, look at verse 13 and 14. These all died in faith, trusting in God. Lived all my life, is what they're saying. Lived all their Christian life. And when they died, they died in faith, died trusting in God, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They knew where they were going. They knew what was there. And looking at that distance, that future, what eternity meant for them, they died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, those who act like that, those who talk like this, those who are not ashamed of the gospel and live out their lives like that, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They know that this world is not it. They know. They know this is is not my home right here. Don't don't fall in love with the world. I I know it's at times it can be glittery and pretty, and I, I know that. Don't fall in love with it. You can have nice things. Just don't fall in love with them. You can have expensive things. Don't fall in love with them. The root of all evil is not money. 
It is the love of it. Don't fall in love with this world. This isn't our home. Now, technically speaking, the new heavens and new earth will be our home someday. And we look forward to the new heavens and new earth. But those who have gone before us, <coughs> they were not ashamed of God. They stood up for him in the face of everything. That ought to be a great encouragement to us as we stand up for him. So the encouragement to identify with Christ now, the encouragement from before of those who identified with Christ before, and then point number three, and you're already way ahead of me, aren't you? Identifying with Christ in the future, in the future. Go to the book of Revelation. Go to chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. When we will identify with Jesus in the future. Revelation chapter 7. <coughs> so when we get to Revelation 7, it's hard to set a simple little context of the book of Revelation. If I said, oh, this is simply how it is. Ooh, that's a long conversation. But give me just a moment to try to set some kind of context. The book of Revelation, we call it that because it's a revelation. It's a revealing. It's a revealing of Jesus Christ and his plans that will be coming up, future. John is given a vision. It's the same John who was the apostle. He wrote the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And he wrote this book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. God gave him a revelation of what is going to be in the future. He wrote it down, and that is what we have in our Bibles that we call the book of Revelation. So I believe that there is a certain time frame that God has given history and even future, the future. And part of that time frame based on the Old Testament book of Daniel, is that there are seven years coming. It's not here yet. Seven specific years. In those seven years will be times of judgment, times of God finishing up his work here on earth. At the end of that seven years, he is coming back. Revelation 19 tells us. He's coming back in deliverance. He's coming back in judgment. And then, without going into detail, he is pushing on real quick toward eternity. But I believe those seven years are coming up. The Bible would tell us, Jesus' own words in Matthew 24, that the, <coughs> the last half of those seven years, three and a half years, are referred to as the Great Tribulation. And he refers to it, Jesus says, it's going to be the worst time that's ever been on earth. John is seeing in his, in his vision in the book of Revelation, John is seeing this future time. Most of the book of Revelation has to do with this seven years. So as he's seeing events unfolding. So we get in the middle of this somewhere in the book of Revelation chapter 7, and let's read verse number 9. After this, I looked, John says, in my vision, I looked. <clears throat> and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, 
from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. What is this Lamb? We know in chapter 4 that it is a Lamb that stood in the heavenly vision that was slain before the foundation of the world. We also remember John the Baptist's words when Jesus walked by, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb, obviously, is Jesus Christ. They're standing before Jesus. This multitude is clothed in white robes with palm branches, victory, by the way, palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to, what are the next two words? Our God. That's my God. That's my Jesus, my Messiah, the identification (coughs) with him that will be for this multitude. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then John says, one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these? So, John, I'm showing you this vision of the future. There's a multitude around the throne, around Jesus, around the Lamb and the Father. Who's this big multitude of people? Who who do you think they are? Who are these clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And, of course, John said, I mean, you know more about this than me, sir, you know. (laughs) And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the... Great tribulation, the time of persecution, those last three and a half years, coming out of the great tribulation, (coughs) they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. By the way, for you theologians out there, I think because of the different multitudes and that they are from every nation and every tribe and so on, I have a great feeling that we probably are part of this multitude and that many are part of this multitude, not just the ones coming out of the great tribulation. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And finally, at the end of verse 17, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They identified with Jesus They stood before the throne, the multitude, and said, that's my Jesus, that's my Lamb, that's my God, our God. So what is the simple challenge this morning? From the Word of God, I have presented to you that based on the fact that there were those who've gone before us, who identified with God and stood up for Him, even during persecution, they were uh, tortured, sawn asunder, sawn in two, all of that. And based on the fact that as we move forward in time, we will stand before, the multitudes will stand before the throne, before King Jesus, and will worship him forever and ever and say, that is identification, that is our God, that is the Lamb. In light of those two things, here we live today, in the middle. And Paul said, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, stand up for him. Be a light in this world, at your job, in your family. There's a whole world full of people who don't know Jesus all around us. 
They are counting on us to open our mouths to share Christ with them. And boy, should we. Well, a good morning this morning, a great morning. I'm thrilled about these that got baptized this morning. 